Yes, hello folks, welcome to Beyond the Pitch, the Global Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Phil Brown, joined with my regular co-host, Philly Axlett, Zach Lowy. You know where to find Zach, you know where to find me, you know where to find the show. Thanks for tuning in again, as always, folks, much appreciated. And as we always promise you, we will tackle some difficult topics on this particular show. Today, we're going to cover inflation in football. Um, this, to me, is a real hidden menace. And when you look at what the landscape looks like in the next few years with inflation, with financial markets, the, all the other metrics that determine disposable income, everything else. Uh, what is that going to mean for football going forward? We'll talk about the success of the women's Euros, which I think is very, very encouraging. We'll talk a little bit about Barcelona and their debts, how precarious they are. Um, it's a bit perplexing to people to see you know, basically two two-track story with Barcelona. They're broke, but they can buy players. We, we, we'll cover that. We will also talk a little bit about a particular club in London refusing to suspend a player who's been now charged with a second count of rape, which to me is absolutely despicable. Um, and I think uh, if, if, if we get some time, we'll talk about what we will see in the next 10 years. Easily, we will see clubs, big clubs around the world, playing league games in popular destinations around the world guaranteed that is on the horizon um zach first of all how you doing brother doing very well uh, happy to come on again and yeah really excited for another great episode of the global football show thank you for coming on man as always thank you for doing this thanks to all of our fans everyone everyone who downloads the show every fans a bit of a self-aggrandizing word but the people that listen to this show we appreciate that all the same uh and all the feedback comments that we get Zach, I'm going to start with inflation in football. We'll start there because <clears throat> we've been very close attention to this. And the last time we saw anything like this in, was back in 2009, 8-9. But 2008-9 was a very different landscape. It didn't have clubs in precarious financial positions that had just emerged from COVID. didn't have clubs that were as leveraged as they are today. It didn't have the problems of clubs that don't have wealthy benefactors trying to match clubs that do and I just look at this <clears throat> over the next few years and think to myself you take a look at a club like Barcelona which we will get into later and other yeah. big football clubs that are dependent upon every red cent which will obviously diminish in terms of transfer fees in terms of people being able to pay in in terms of sponsor ship revenue everything else how much of a hidden danger is this to football? What, yeah, what what specifically? The rising costs? In terms costs of inflation, or... yeah. Well, look, look yeah. you've got rising costs. You're going to have decreased revenue. You're going to have fans, attendance will go down. <clears throat> uh, mm -hmm. Spending will go down at football clubs from ancillary spending from fans in terms of merchandise, in terms of you know uh, everything, yeah. concessions inside the ground. And all the ancillary spending the clubs rely on from, from fans right. generate revenue. Television revenue will go down because people won't be paying to watch games as much. Right. So that my question is with clubs with heavily decreased revenue, and you see the problems Barcelona have and other clubs have of trying to get players to take pay cuts, it's not easy. Um how precarious is that to football clubs today? Yeah, look, I think that you definitely make some good points. I think that uh, for me, it's just another indication of the rising pattern 
of of not just inflation, but I think inequality, you know, because fewer and fewer clubs are capable of, of paying uh, the going rate, shall we say, for top class players. Right. And you're looking at depending depending on the position, depending on the contract situation, you know, you could be paying anywhere near from 40, 50 million, 60 million. There are really only, uh, you know, probably 12 clubs. Uh, I think you can look at the Super League teams and then throw in a few of the other teams like Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern who did not join, you know, not too many teams uh, who are going to be able to afford that. So I I think that is definitely a worrying concern. I I did expect, um, I, I definitely expected COVID to offset some of that, but it seems like if it was offset, it was just temporarily, you know, because we're looking at these teams right now, you know, you've got obviously Paris Saint-Germain spending like crazy as usual city, uh, Chelsea trying to make a splash with their new owner. Um, and of course, Barcelona, which into. So, yeah, I, I do think it is on a, on definitely a worrying pattern and one that, you know, it, it kind of confirms even if the Super League is not going to happen, the way football is shaping up right now, it's becoming its own sort of Super League. Well, you just mentioned three football clubs there um, that have been the recipients of insane financial doping, right? Chelsea, Liverpool, PSG, or Chelsea, PSG, and uh, City. So for everyone else that hasn't had the benefit of a wealthy benefactor that could pour money into a football club that uses it as essentially as a money laundering exercise, <clears throat> have to bond to Brooks and live in the real world. They, uh, they of course, are living in a whole different reality. And mm-hmm. the thing about the, the um, City and PSG, most clubs can't match that spending, and nor should they be trying to, because you know City can yeah. throw money about the players and afford to get it wrong. Most clubs can't. Um, same with uh, PSG. So. They'll be exempt from this. But City and PSG have spent circa a couple of billion and still having the European Cup to show for it. So they badly need other big clubs to be in good health for them to raise the value of their brand. I mean, there's no point in City and PSG dominating the league where you've got seven or eight European giants that are on their knees because they can't afford to finance. You know, that, that that's just that's not an attractive prospect to anyone. But, Zach, we look at some of these things. We take a look at the French League, for example. They just mm-hmm. lost Bordeaux, right? One of the stalwart football clubs in that league. Disgraceful financial mismanagement. Gone. Derby County, serious trouble. Glasgow Rangers, liquidated, right? People have to waken up here. Barcelona, can you take a look at Barcelona's finances? Is this, is what, is this what it's going to take? Barcelona debts amount to about 1.35 billion euros. Right? Mm-hmm. Now they're trying to get they got some of that debt restructured, right? About 500 and something million of it. But I'm looking at Barcelona and I'm going, this is a juggernaut football club that was supposed to be run properly, you know, with, with fun input and everything else. I, I I think and I and I saw a tremendous thread on this yesterday that showed how precarious their financial situation is. They 
are in serious trouble. And I don't know how that football club can hold on to Frankie de Jong this summer uh, or even expect to. But um, I look at the trouble and face of football. And I look at when FFP was brought in, one of the things it didn't tackle was debt because the vast majority of the big clubs that wanted FFP brought in were up to their neck in debt. And we saw something like COVID, which was completely un- un- unpredicted. Have a devastating impact on clubs' finances. And this is what you have to contend with, which, of course, in some ways, was the motivation for the Super League. I look at these football clubs that are so poorly run, that have had such poor financial oversight, such poor governance into how they run their finances. I- I'm telling you, like, this this is taking time one for football. Look, I mean, first of all, you mentioned Bordeaux. You didn't mention... Uh, the joint winning esteem in France and Sanetian, they're also going back. Yeah, but yeah, they're so Sanetian going to league the to going to the second division. Bordeaux actually not going to the second division. They are uh, skipping that and going to the third division. And you know, depending on on you know their financial situation, some rumors that they may even wind up in the fifth division. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, look, I. I agree and disagree, okay? Um, because, because look, Barcelona, yes, they are at a, they are still at a critical point financially. But to be quite honest, these past few weeks, um, you know, for me, they, they've been kind of an indication. I don't know, are, are some clubs too big to fail? I mean, you look at Barcelona, mm. you look at a club that, you know, at, despite, being probably the worst run club in in the entire world they are still beating out competition from Manchester United and Arsenal to sign Rafinha they are still renewing Usmane Dembele's contract they are still pursuing other targets like Robert Lewandowski uh Jules Koundé um they are still doing this and and they 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 are you know they they have that pull i think not just the allure of playing at a historic club like barcelona not just the allure of playing champions league football and playing at the camp nou and, and obviously a phenomenal destination right on the mediterranean you know it's, it's easy to see why not too many players would want to leave there um and you you know look at a player like frankie de Jong, who of course has 17 million uh pounds of uh, deferred wages um i got into kind of an argument with some barcelona fans today because they're saying no it's not it's it's not unpaid. It's deferred. Well, look, it's both. Okay, it's those are wages that have been deferred and that have not been paid to him. Okay, so let's not get bogged down by semantics. Frankie De Jong, despite the fact that he's got seventeen million pounds that's waiting for him, while while Barcelona are spending a ton of money on these other players, he it's still all the reports seem to suggest that he doesn't want to leave Barcelona. So I. I don't know. It, it's it's an it's a tricky one, you know. How just how much can Barcelona suffer from them? How how much is that the size of that club, the location, and what Barcelona means? How much is that going to protect them? Yeah. Um, so that's that's another thing. Obviously, you know they they have they have uh, suffered a a killer blow with with losing with being unable to renew the contract of the best player in club history. You know, and, and seeing him leave for a major rival. Um, but with that being said, I think that 
if if some of these reports are correct, I I do think that Barcelona, the 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 worst may yet to be come may the worst uh you know could yet uh come in in I think not in a yeah. few months but a year two years down the line, um because honestly I mean I I, I was expecting I'll be honest I was expecting a lot more you know financially intelligent moves from Laporta and his bunch and okay fair enough they've they've done some stuff to work around they've 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 basically they've essentially leveraged uh their long-term economic mm-hmm. growth for their short-term profit i mean you look at selling uh, what is it 10% of their tv rights for the past for, for the next 25 years uh, in exchange for that loan from 6th street um so essentially just going all in on on building up their squad and giving up a large portion of revenue you know that is something that i think is concerning and for me that's an indication one did barcelona really learn their lesson and two if this is the worst that's going to happen to barcelona right now if and you know our other similar you know top level clubs are they going to learn that lesson from barcelona well here's the thing zach a lot of things we talked about are are appealing to a billionaire <clears throat> And we know the structure of Barcelona's club, you know, being fan owned, and of course having to get approval from their fans before they activate certain economic levers, as they would say. So the only way Barcelona gets saved for the metrics that you use, such as its size, such as its location, such as its brand you know, value across the world, is if somebody comes in and is attracted to that and is willing to buy the football club. So the only way for these clubs to survive is with someone who can afford to lose a lot of money. Someone who's not in it for the money. That shouldn't be the bar. That shouldn't be the barometer for football clubs. That shouldn't be we're going to be so complacent, we're so big, we won't fail. I think Leeds thought that too. <clears throat> and they continued to recklessly spend. And then nobody did come in. And they got relegated. And big clubs, bad things happen. Juventus were relegated, right? And and eventually recovered, but it took a long time. Yeah. So I'm just looking at the things and saying football needs to be very careful about how complacent it is that someone, some billionaire is going to come in and rescue them no matter how bad things get. Because if I want to buy Barcelona or anyone else, big club for that matter, and I've got the liquidity to do it, what I'm going to do right now is wait. Because I think every one of these top clubs' value is going to drop significantly over the next year due to what's going on with the financial markets and due to what will happen to revenue and everything else. So you let these teams bleed to the point where they'll take a lower offer just to ease the pressure. And I think when I look at Barcelona, they're not a team that can win the Champions League. And even if they did win the Champions League in the league next season, it's the drop in the ocean compared to what they owe. So they're kicking a car down the road. And to me, how can you turn around and say to Frankie de Jong, you need to defer your wages, but we're going to pay 55 million for Rafinha. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the equivalent of getting a nice car payment when you're living in a dump. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, the, the, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the road to ruin right there. You know, when you neglect your current obligations, your fiduciary obligations... And bring on new ones because it feels good. That's how you ruin a football club. That's yeah. how you ruin a business. 
You know, it's, it's not sexy paying the bills that you owe. No one likes that, right? When you're getting no return on it, doesn't appear to be. Yeah. So you know, I I I don't know, Zach. I think that it's very very risky. And I think I look at other clubs, like look at the dead at the Milan's and look at the dead AC Milan's. You know, look at the dead that you know, lots of top clubs are in. It wouldn't take much for this to come crashing down. And uh, you know, you used to be able to rely on things like Russian oligarchs. Well, they're off the table now. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And and when we look at uh, just one other aspect of this, what's gonna be really interesting, Zach is if geopolitics and global tensions increase mm-hmm. between the US, China, and what have you, what happens if China, and this is purely speculation, decides to invade Taiwan and their sanctions come? Because China right now is insulating our economy against sanctions. So most people believe they're on the precipice of doing something. You start sanctioning Chinese owners. You can't take all these clubs off all existing owners. And then hope to sell them and hope to find billionaires from countries you're friendly with that will take over them. Because if I'm a billionaire and I'm buying a club and I'm seeing this, I'm going, what happens if they have an issue in my country? I lose my asset. You know, unless you're from the US, in which case that's not going to happen and you're buying a Premier League club. It's a very, very risky operation. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, I had no idea you were such a fan of geopolitics. Until oh, I'm not. <laughs> but look, I I remember seeing this tweet a few a few um a few days ago and this basically this follower said, you know, I wish uh tweeting Venezia's English account saying like I wish that some some uh some big billionaire gives Venezia a takeover. They deserve it. And then Venezia their English account responded like thanks, but if if uh if if that's what football is now you know we've struck we've uh we've strayed so far away from from what it truly means and i you know i completely agree with that so one look there i think that there are there are fewer and fewer because of because of you know the growing inequality in in our society today right fewer and fewer people make up the mega rich and mm-hmm. with that with that being said fewer and fewer uh potential owners with the potential to you know completely revol- revolutionize a club the same way Abramovich did with Chelsea same way Sheikh Mansour did with with City so you know th- there's that aspect to consider and another thing is just you know if if we are just waiting for these billionaires it, it doesn't matter if they're if if you know obviously there's that aspect to consider right are they from Saudi government who've got an awful human rights record mm-hmm. or are are they just you know just just regular billionaires who probably have done some reprehensible things but you know have maybe not violated human rights but with that being said football it's getting to that point where you know so many of these fans are just you know they 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 are forced to essentially beg for for a billionaire to come and save them and it forces them to be completely reliant on them when when you know provided that they do take over so it's yeah it's it's a very dangerous position i think um that's the that's the trend that football is going in you know this inequality um but it's it's also why i didn't 
I mean, I, I didn't begrudge Newcastle fans too much when they were celebrating their takeover because look, Mike Ashley, he was a terrible owner, one. And two, you know, for 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 everything that these these fans are saying, look. The, the same fans that are criticizing them, wh- whether they're Coventry, Palace, uh, Villa, Sporters, you know, whatever, if they got a takeover that size, they would probably be doing the same thing. Okay. So, look, that is just something that I think is, yeah, it's it's definitely worrying, a worrying trend with football. Oh, I have no doubt they'd be doing the same thing. Anyone would be doing the same thing. But this is really a failure of governance. And whether there's any appetite for the people who govern the game to keep the people out with money, and the reality is there's not. Um, you know, even if you ask yourself, what's the raison d'etre of a football club? It's not to be a plutocrat's plaything. It's not to be a brand to uh, rinse money. Uh, to sports wash it's not for any other reason than to be an extension of the community that it's located in a source of entertainment something for fans but now it's become so distorted now if you're a fan you have to be an amateur accountant and an amateur politician because there's so many other things you have to be aware of and so I can understand long suffering fans like Newcastle wanting owners in at the football club that are going to buy new players. That'll feel great for a while. You know, when you can't breathe, oxygen becomes God. When you're hungry, food becomes God. When you don't have something, the thing that you want becomes the most important thing to you. I understand that. So I understand why Newcastle fans wanted that. But we talked about this before. PSG fans rioted when they won the league title last season. City fans couldn't fill their stadium the first game after they won the league. Eventually, there's something plastic about it. There's something that doesn't feel real about it. There's something that doesn't feel nourishing about it. And I think... Uh, yeah. I think that I do is think, the malaise yeah. that sets in after a while. Yeah, I, I, I can see your point. I do feel like the city issue, for me, it's more about... Uh, it's, it's a different issue, I think, with regards to exorbitant ticketing prices. You know, they've really uh, pocketed a lot They've really priced a lot of uh, why would uh, long term multi billionaires need those ticket prices? Yeah, right. No, why I, aren't they letting them for next? To, why aren't they letting them for free? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. I agree. But, but I, I do think it's, it's, it's another issue. It's a direct issue. I think there are more loyal and you know, uh, passionate city fans than than the media makes it out to be. So, but you just don't see them because of because in in many ways of that. Yeah, you know. Uh, the, the ticketing, pricing them out. I but think so, their tickets are priced as competitive as everyone else's in the league. Yeah. The bottom line is there's not enough people willing to part with that much cash to go see City when they can go watch someone else. And yeah. that's just a fact of life. So, uh, and what's the point of being bought by multi-billionaires if they're going to price your fans out from being able to watch the team you love? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, don't, I, I mean, Glazers haven't raised ticket prices in over 10 years. You know it? Yeah. All right. So... Uh, and if you're a multi-billionaire, you don't need the revenue. You know, mm-hmm. when you want to talk about good owners, start there. Make this accessible to ordinary people. You know, that should yeah. be the mark. You take a look at Leicester City owners. And that's the epitome of good owners. Mm-hmm. Someone who recognizes their investment in their community. You know, you know, I know the city owners have funded a number of community projects and understand that. But at the end of the day, they're owners of a football team. 
and there's no financial justification other than the attempt to cook books for you to charge yeah. that space. Um, but honestly, to put a finer point on it, for me with inflation, with the with with the multi-dimensional problems that the world faces, I think this is having an impact on how clubs spend this summer. And high clubs, you'd see, look at how many free transfers there are available. Quality players. It's also affecting high clubs with new contracts, right? Yeah. I mean, you've just seen Paul Pogba go. You've got, you're going to see Dybala go. You'll see Balotti go. There's, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Chris Erickson, there's going on and on, on. Free transfers, free transfers. Right? <clears throat> clubs just aren't willing to go that, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of parsimony about. And when you look at what, is being done. You had the big deals done early, and now you're in that second period of the transfer window where people are just looking around, seeing what's going to happen. You know they're under their secondary targets, um, and I I honestly feel that that financial concern is going to significantly impact high clubs by this summer. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else to say on it? Look, I mean, just going back to your point on Leicester, I, I think that there that's a great example. And and one thing I wanted to mention, I mean, Leicester recently unveiling, you know, that uh, state of the art uh, training ground. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the training ground; it's it's absolutely brilliant. And mm-hmm. overall, I, I think that there needs to be a mentality change amongst amongst media, amongst supporters, in terms of you know what it what makes a good owner and what makes a good spender as well because look i think that you know you you look at the sales that lester have done uh they've sold a lot of quality players harry Maguire, ben chilwell uh riyad mares you know they've recouped that money and yes they've brought in some quality players but they've also used it to improve facilities that's so important that's something that i think really doesn't get mentioned by by many people you know i mean you look at manchester united yes they they they're spending an exorbitant amount of money on all these players but at the same time uh, does that really matter when you've still got a leaky roof and all of these mm-hmm. uh underwhelming facilities you know so so i think yeah it, it definitely i think it goes both ways you you know not just in terms of improving facilities whether it's the roof or the training grounds or the academies or or you know even you know, improving uh, women's football, I think it also goes to allowing uh, ticket prices to drop, you know, allowing working class supporters to get uh, tickets, you know. So I, I definitely think there needs to be uh, a mentality change because too often we think, oh, you know, this my my owner is not spending uh, like 50 million on this player that I really want to get. He's completely cheap. He needs to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that fact is spending money on on a brand new uh training ground or a brand new it can be something even simpler you, uh, a brand new uh medical equipment you know whatever i think that that stuff is just as important as new players and overall we think of we, we really only think of spending money on these players right spending the transfer fees but fact is there's so much stuff so much more stuff that goes into running a football club and I think that in general, we just need to do a better job of uh, acknowledging that and appreciating that. All right, let's move on. We'll talk about um, this football club in London, of course. Um, yeah. This recent issue that sort of snuck under the radar, which unbelievably so snuck under the radar that it's not getting 
ubiquitous coverage. Um, because to me it's an absolute outrage and the football club in question. I'm not going to get speculate who they are and who the player is. Uh, that's already been put about, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but once it emerges who the football club are, um, this football club needs to face the wrath of every social media commentator. It needs to go and apologize to its women's team. It needs to face the wrath of every sponsor. And it needs to explain why it has a completely different moral compass than other football clubs. This is an individual that's been charged, okay? Not accused, charged twice. Mason Greenwood, on the other hand, hasn't been charged at all. Was immediately suspended. Hasn't kicked the ball since because that was the right thing to do. Not the expedient thing to do, the right thing to do. And yes, it's going to come at great personal cost. But here we are in preseason. United suspended Mason Greenwood at the end of January, at a key time. And it coincided mm-hmm. with a massive drop in form. So the consequences to them for suspended Mason Greenwood are the least of their worries, but nonetheless very real. It would have been easy for the particular club in question to suspend that particular player right now, given that it's preseason, and they could give the illusion that they care. But still, with no games, <laughs> this individual was not suspended. A guy who was charged. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to ask two questions here, Zach. Yeah. Where are the authorities in this? How is there not legislation right now that demands that players who do things like this, of which there are many, are suspended immediately? There's lots of other things in football that if you do, you will get suspended before there's a criminal trial, right? Or a civil trial. So why not this issue. We're we're sitting here lauding the women's Euros and the progress of the women's game, but yet we can't protect them. We can't demonstrate our moral compass is calibrated to the point where forget about financial gain, forget about sport and gain. Moral and ethics trump all of it. Mm -hmm. Look, I think that there is a danger of, I think, inflating the Greenwood situation because, look, being proven guilty in 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 uh, the court is one thing, and obviously there's innocent till proven guilty in that mm-hmm. case. But there's also being proven guilty in the uh, court of public opinion, sure. which in the area in the era of social media, I think is arguably I don't, I don't want to say more important, but but it's 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 reaching I think a similar level. Um, and when you have visual and audiovisual evidence. Uh, you know, concerning what Greenwood did, looking at those who has audio and visual evidence. So I'm talking about the Greenwood. Yeah, case. I know, but who has all you and I have it, right? Okay, but the police, yeah. whose job it is to cross-examine this, whose job it is to analyze it, still mm-hmm. haven't charged Mason Greenwood, but you don't get charged without evidence. Yeah. So the individual in question was being charged, Zach. 
So we know the mm-hmm. evidence exists, but you and I don't have that evidence. So if anything, yeah. it's not analogous to Mason Greenwood in a sense that Mason Greenwood could possibly be even more benign. Clearly, the police have much more. Uh, uh, there, there's nothing exculpatory about this evidence. Right. So clearly, the police have hard evidence that this individual was guilty, and they're confident yeah. of a conviction. They don't have that with Mason Greenwood. Now, it's not my job to tell you, to say why. I don't know why. I'm not an investigator, yeah. right? Um, but they have it on this individual. So to me. Yeah. Because when they talk about the public court of public opinion, it's totally irrelevant about what you should do as a club. If I'm sitting on evidence right now that an employee in my business and the court, the public don't have it, has done something yeah. utterly egregious, then it's not acceptable for me to say, well, yeah, right. but that evidence wasn't out there. So uh, we chose to do nothing. It's not about that. It's about what you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I completely agree. I'm just saying, I think that the and and that's another interesting topic. I don't know why Greenwood has not been charged when you look at the 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 evidence against him. Um, but overall, yes, I, I completely agree. I think that when you look at the fact that he's been charged already, it, it doesn't make sense. And overall, I just think there's such a complete uh, lack of regard for women in in football mm-hmm. you know there's obviously there's there's going to continue to be uh just you know so many so, so many uh meaningless stuff some stuff okay that has meaning like supporting these women's teams okay fair enough that you know but but when you look at these topics it's just like uh pretty much every team uh, so so many teams are going to do what's best for them they're not going to do what's mm-hmm. best for the player you know and this is not just this is not just a football issue. You know, we saw this with, um, I mean, going to the NFL here, but uh, taking a look at Cle- the Cleveland Browns doing practically no due diligence before offering Deshaun Watson uh, one of the biggest contracts in NFL history. And, you know, you know, just completely disregarding mm-hmm. uh, the possibility of what might have happened for, you know, chasing glory. So overall, yeah, it's 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 very disappointing. Um, I do I do understand that there there are some people who will bring up, you know, for example, bring up uh, the Eves Bisuma case, right? Mm-hmm. Bisuma was, I believe, accused of sexual assault um, around November, and Brighton did not drop him. He he played and you know ended up moving to Tottenham, and then a few uh, weeks after, ended up the, the case ended up getting dropped. Uh, to my understanding. So fair enough. You do have those examples. I can see why a club would, would want to protect the reputation of their player. But, uh, you know, the fact is the player he's, he's been, he's been arrested on, on suspicion of rape. Um, and he's, I believe he's gotten arrested again, right. For, for two yes. um, attacks on a different woman charged twice. Yes charged twice okay Mm -hmm. right so look i (laughs) i am far from a legal expert which is why i don't want to overstep my boundaries too much but uh you're looking at a man who's who's who who, there's a very good chance has has raped multiple women and you're not suspending him you know maybe he isn't maybe and look maybe he is innocent after all but don't you think it's better to just uh, to 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 just 
let the case going on and, and show that this cannot be tolerated and that the only way that this player would be back is if is the investigation is complete and he's shown that he didn't do anything. You know, for me, for my understanding, I think that would be that would send a stronger message to the female supporters of club, to the female players of club to, you know, it doesn't even matter if they're uh, if, if they are um, connected to the club in any way. The fact is, look, m- women are becoming a much bigger part of football, you know, more and more important, whether that's uh, supporters, whether that's podcasters, whether that's fans, whether, you know, whatever. We're even seeing female referees now. So to, to just completely disregard them and to, to just say, you know what, we don't care, essentially. We don't care that this man uh, may or may not have raped two women. We are still going to allow him to train like a regular player. For me, that just sends a very disrespectful message. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I, I do think that pretty much every uh, – top level you know premier league side what what have you i think they that m- most of them would would follow the same pattern because i do think that this is uh this is a mentality that is common throughout men's football oh, and exactly. it needs to change question main back just a couple of months with rovers yeah. try to sign david goodwillie right now mm-hmm. david goodwillie in 2000 and as uh, he was accused of committing rape right in mm-hmm. uh, 2011 Mm-hmm. He never faced a criminal trial over it because there wasn't sufficient evidence. However, in a civil court, which of course preponderance of evidence is much lower, ruled that right. he and his former David, uh, uh, former Dundee United teammate David Robertson, raped a lady uh, at a flat in West Lothian, Scotland, and um, she was incapable of giving meaningful consent, and they were both ordered to pay hundred thousand each, um, hundred thousand damages. So, here's a guy that wasn't ever convicted in a criminal court. Mm-hmm. Civil court, of course, the standard is different. We saw this even with John Terry, for example. John Terry wasn't convicted in a criminal court, was in civil court over his right. abuse of Anton Ferdinand. Um, so he was rightfully suspended for that. Uh, should have been, he was, he was suspended at the moment of allegations. So when you're prejudiced or a threat to a particular group of people, it's inex- it's unexcusable, it's unacceptable to have that individual still represent your organization. And you must face the consequences of this. And Chad Evans, who was released from court, released from prison, signed for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a very famous javelin thrower at the time. I forget, I forget the girl's name. She was a, a, a British Olympian. And um, she was also listed on one of their stands. And she threatened to never come to the stadium again and wanted her wanted her name taken off the, the, the stand. Well of course Sheffield mm-hmm. Wednesday relented. And so did Wraith Rovers. And they did not go ahead with the particular sign. Mason Greenwood was dropped by his sponsors, Nike being one of them. That was his mm-hmm. consequence. This is so unfair that we have one football club who clearly would have taken advice from lawyers who did the right thing and whilst other players who are in some sense more egregiously guilty mm-hmm. are able to for, 
reap the financial benefits and sporting benefits and the anonymity. It's a disgrace. So, again, it's not us for to, to, to adjudicate on these particular cases. This is up to the police. Um, but what you just said is really telling. Clubs do what's in their best interests. Not what's in the best interest of the people that represent them. Not what's in the best interest of their fans. What's in their yep. best fiscal interests. And when your morality is guided by what makes money, we're going to have a problem. Yeah. And so this is where there needs to be serious fiscal consequences. Because you're right. These football clubs do act in their own financial interest. So when they're weighing up cost benefit the next time someone does something like this, what has to be included in that analysis is, hey, when this inevitably comes out, the cost to us financially with sponsors departing, the bad press, the Emmy, all that is going to be horrendous. So let's do the right thing. Because otherwise, there is no incentive to do the right thing. And this is where also the authorities have to take a good look at themselves and say, how is this allowed? You know, they yeah. owe that to every female. I've got two daughters. It's absolutely despicable. Yeah. Um, I, this is allowed to happen. Overall, I would I would really like to see um, just some basic protocol established by the FA. You know, if your player, for example, if your player is charged or or you know arrested or whatever there there has to be i think a single protocol that that every team should follow because i mean i just i i don't like the fact that that some teams that that that, that, that there are different approaches between this you know some teams are going to allow them to play some teams will get arrested many times the teams that punish their players uh, they themselves get punished right by by having by 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 uh you know not having a a player available so i think there needs to be just some singular uh protocol that goes for you know and not not just for the premier league teams uh, for 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 the uh efl teams as well i think having something like that 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 basically i don't want to say a cookie cutter approach but but essentially you know you know that uh if if your player falls into a similar situation you need to take these steps um and and any and and not taking the steps that would have to result in a massive a massive uh you know say a few you know quite a few point deduction you know talking about fines you know it there needs to be i think uh that 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 needs to be uh one of the first steps i think having this where frankly you you know you don't have you you don't get the check you don't uh, right, get a choice right between what you want to do you have to follow um you have to follow this pattern so for me, I, I would like I would definitely like to see that. I completely agree. And it would be so simple and it would take the ability for clubs to uh, deliberately pretend this isn't happening um, away from them. And yeah. speaking of which, to move the top, topic on to the female, the women's Euros, of course. Oops, yeah. turn that down. Female Euros, because we've had um, fantastic Euros so far. And... I think it's another illustration of the progress that women's sports is making, women's football is making. Um, I've often used the MMA as an example mm-hmm. to the fact that women can, they in many ways have pioneered equality between men and women. 
in terms of turning women into main events. We've seen it in boxing too. You know, yeah. a couple a couple of months ago, we had the biggest event in the history of boxing for female fighters where they led a pay-per-view card. They both got seven-figure purses, which is just fantastic. It was a sellout. It was one of the fights of the year. It was between two amazing female fighters. Uh, and I think we're now seeing women's sports become much more mainstream, much more accepted. I mean, this seems so reductive and so, you know, primitive in some ways to be even saying this, that we're 2022 and we're still fighting for female sports to have the same acceptance as men. But what I think one of the things that's encouraging, Zach, is when you look at some of the state, the England games, of course, naturally attracting huge audiences, the other, other European teams, of course, attracting huge audiences. It's a wonderful mix of men, kids women girls and i think it's just it, it it's really refreshing to see most get most men most guys getting over their own prejudice and misogyny and, and and allowing themselves to enjoy what is a fantastic spectacle mm -hmm. yeah no i first of all if you're uh, looking for me to give any credit whatsoever to boxing or MMA, you've got another thing coming. <laughs> you know, you know that uh, I do not speak your language when it comes to uh, that's, uh, boxing that's my and stuff. Go ahead. <laughs> I know, I know, but um, but but <laughs> but look, I I definitely uh, think it's 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 very encouraging. Okay, look, we are seeing more and more attendances for you know not just not not just uh, women's Euros, but uh, not just for you know women's world cup but but also women's champions league you know you're seeing people who usually just tune in to men's football uh tuning in and i i've gotten the chance to catch a few games of the women's euros I, and it's been great it's been really impressive quality overall i think as well another thing that that seems to me like it's been changing is you're getting you know a diverse a more diverse group of uh teams right it, it seemed like mm -hmm. for a few years that the us would pretty much just dominate every year I think that it's it seems to be like it's it's a lot more competitive. You see that with the Olympics. You see that with a lot of these tournaments. Um, and overall, yeah, you just see that. I think I, I think that women's football is is really taking off, and I think it's going to continue to take off because look, football is the biggest sport in the world, and yeah, women should be able to not just play it as a hobby, but to reach uh, extraordinary success levels. So, yeah, that's that's one thing that I think. That that I think will 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 allow women's football to take off even more and to hit just a, a tremendous high. I think having that superstar, we we obviously there are some tremendous players in women's football, be it Ada Hegerberg, uh, Vivian Miedema, some very good players. But to have I think a a superstar who's going to you know have that similar yeah. effect as Messi or Cristiano, you know, and have kids in you know, Indonesia, Brazil, trying, trying out their tricks, trying to dress like them. That, for me, that's going to take women's football to the next level. Massively important. Listen, Mia Hamm um, was as much a household name here as David Beckham. Megan Rapino mm -hmm. was as much a household name here as David Beckham. And these are people that were extremely inspiring. You know, I have to say, Zach, as a yeah. guy, there's a lot of things I just don't intellectually, I'd say intellectually understand, but maybe not ex 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 experientially understand and know how it feels. And questions I've never really posed myself or thought about. 
Mm-hmm. But I have two young girls, and I watch how important female representation is to them and their ability to identify and relate. I watch the things that they consume. I watch the things that motivate them. I watch the things that captivate them. And they need to see someone just like them doing something to in order for them to believe that they can do it too. And for too long, girls of my generation and many, many countries had nowhere to go beyond recreational soccer, no matter how good they were. That's a travesty. And what I meant by the UFC and boxing is it's largely a male, it's largely a male uh, uh, audience, and it's largely what you would consider to be alpha male audience. That I don't want to say alpha, I want to, how do I rightfully describe them? But perhaps people, men that would fit the description of what you would, where you would expect um, a largely male atmosphere that, that um, most women would not find attractive. So I think um, if you can win those people over to really appreciate female athletes in the same way that appreciate male athletes, then it can be done anywhere. If you can, if you can take a combat sport audience and get them to, I mean, you had a female fight uh, recently, uh, Joanna Jerzyak, Polish fighter who just retired. And I watched grown men who are immersed in combat sports just salivate about her, about her fighting ability, about everything else. And I think that there's really, there's an example there that if they're promoted properly, vested properly, their stories are told properly, then you can create as much interest in female sports at a bare minimum as you can in men's. And I think... For for both, I think when we look at where the opportunities for growth in sport come over the next 20, 30 years, I really think that will be something that will be massive over the next 20 years. We're going to see massive growth. We'll never see a WNBA the way we saw 20 years ago or a women because with social media that it makes it so much easier to succeed. It makes it so much easier to fail, of course, because it's easier to blacken someone's name and tarnish reputations, what have you, was before. But it makes content so much more reachable. The virality of content is so much different and how you purpose it, because it used to be what we would see about women's football was a condensed two-minute video of guys sitting around having a good laugh at every mistake they made goalkeepers missing chances or goalkeepers miss kicking it. Mm-hmm. That never happens in men's. I mean, I was watching people talk about some of the scorelines mm-hmm. on the Euros. Did they not see Brazil, Germany in the World Cup? You think that doesn't happen? No? You think that doesn't happen in men's football? You think, you know, yeah. a Spanish goalkeeper in the last World Cup, ball rolls right over his foot? You know, it happens to everybody. So, you know, now we don't see that. Now we see clips of, you know, goals 25 yards out, top corner, just top quality and mm-hmm. so I mean Zach you go back to the first World Cups take a look at the competitive balance wasn't there you had seven ones you had because you had emerging nations that were learning that will eventually close the gap but you can't get there without starting and I think it's great to see yeah not only do you have you know men's players missing you have world class players missing and I mean, yeah. it definitely shows I think 
there's still some plenty of work to do for sure uh with the way that we men you know treat women's football mm-hmm. um but but yeah no i i definitely i cannot agree with you more i think that things are looking up but still so much uh so much room to improve 100 completely agree um lastly before we leave i want to talk to you a little bit about the efficacy of um summer tours because obviously these things are very important we've seen tremendous growth of the sport in countries development countries where football is trying to get a foothold in notably this one and others and of course these tours matter um there's a double-edged sword, however, in the sense that the football public here are a lot wiser to gimmicks. And and I would say that's true in other countries as well. So most fans here know when you're signing the player to put bums on seats, and it's not really about improving the team. Most fans out here know that these tours, while it's great to see these players, aren't really a true game. So mm-hmm. what next to continue to captivate what is a declining audience because you're no longer getting 120,000 in you know in the big house and 110,000 in the big house for United Real Madrid um a, a preseason game you're not getting that anywhere anymore so how do you what drug do you give out next that keeps that consumer coming back and i think we are within 5 years away of league games from big clubs, big teams around the world being played in the big cities around the world. Would you agree or disagree? Um, it's it's a tricky one. Look, I think I could definitely see there being uh, a game or two, yeah, being thrown in perhaps once a year. I don't think it's going to be a, a regular occurrence, but yeah, definitely a special occurrence. Um, but you know, you, you do make a great point. Look, ticket sales, attendance figures, these things are dropping. Some of that, I think do definitely due to, uh, these ticket prices due to inflation, due to the current state of the world economy, but also, yes, I mean, there, there, I definitely think that in, in, for a lot of teams, there is a decrease in passion. Um, and you know, maybe a lot of teams, they, they, they may bet, they may benefit from you know, taking their business and, and doing a game or two in Indonesia or Mexico or, you know, uh, Brazil. But you do have to make sure, I think, that uh, that, that you have fans who are going to show up in these places. So that's an area where not every club, I think, is going to be able to to uh, to pull that off. You know, I for sure, Barcelona, take a club like Barcelona or Milan or Chelsea, you go to Thailand or you go to uh, Argentina, there's going to be a ton of fans who will show up. But is a club like, you know, a club like Renan or a club like uh, Brentford, are they going to be able to pull that off? I'm not too sure. But yeah, I, I think that um, it's something that I know, I know the NFL trying to do more of, right? Those games in London and Germany. And uh, the Premier League has has always followed the NFL's footstep for a lot of stuff. 100%. I think people don't realize uh, the NFL's footprint. But but I do think that, yeah, at the end of the day, teams will always, that's the only guarantee, teams are always going to do uh, whatever's best for business. You know, whether that's playing a game, well, 
a a continent away or or not suspending a player who's uh, been accused of rape. You know, th- they are always going to do what's best f- financially. What so, you're going to see, Jack, you'll see yeah. the league teams doing it first because they've got to come up with a model and a way to come out, catch the Premier League commercially. And once it gets normalized through Serie A, La Liga, these are leagues that are desperate to try to close the gap financially in the Premier League for commercial reasons. Where else can they do that? Once that starts happening, you'll see the Premier League follow, follow suit. And yes, Brentford versus Norwich isn't going to draw an 80,000 crowd, but Brentford versus Manchester United or Brentford versus Liverpool or Brentford, because people aren't going to watch Brentford, they're going to watch Liverpool. And so, even the Brentford fans. So, the thing is, um, those big clubs will be used for a long time to shoehorn that in. The big clubs will like this because they're going to get the land share of the revenue. The smaller clubs are going to have no choice. It's going to be, okay, you can say no. You can stay here. You can get a smaller cut of the pie because the TV revenue is going to go down significantly because the commercial revenue is going to drop significantly because we're not playing club games abroad. You know, if you take a look at Adidas, for example, <clears throat> they have a clause in our contract with United that says if you don't qualify for the Champions League two years in a row, you lose 25 million. So that global television exposure is so important to your commercial revenue. So eventually clubs become economically aligned with mm-hmm. where the money is. And yeah. that's that's where the money is. The globalization sport will continue. There's no question. The consequences of that, regional rivalries will diminish. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think that is football collapsing in on itself. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that's collapsing in on a, a gravitational pull of a black hole is pulling football into uh, to collapse in on itself. And I really think that the black hole is money. Is, is is clubs that are getting sucked into that and eventually it's bit you out as radiation. I think it's a very, very concerning picture. Um and uh I think for football as it chases continued financial growth, you will eventually cannibalize yourself because yep. you're going to destroy the structure of the sport as we know it. And when that fails, what's left? So we shall see. Zach, I feel you, like I feel like every to, episode. Yes, I'll let you have the no, last word, man. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like every uh, episode of the Global Football Show more or less ends with you saying money is is the root of all evil in football, and this mm. is the dark hole. And look, I I agree with you. I agree, but um, but look, you you know, you mentioned the even regional rivalries stuff. I, that's something that I definitely agree with. I think that you know the globalization of the sport is definitely weakening that. I mean, you. I think you see that already. Um, you know, you just have to go on social media the past few years. Look at how many United fans are literally supporting City in the title race, you know, over over Liverpool. I know that I know that Liverpool uh, are, are also regional rivalries, regional rivals of United. But it's like, I mean, seriously? Is, well, is nothing yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly placed to explain this. This is the equivalent. Okay, go ahead. Go this ahead, is the equivalent it. of taking uh, a, 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 a poop sandwich with sauce or without. Choose mm-hmm. one, right? And that's about, I'm going to choose the one with sauce. Just simply in the hope that it may disguise the taste just a little bit. 
But either way, <laughs> it's vomiting juicing. And the rea- this is a reflection of the fact that City on it. Uh, but it also goes back to what I was saying earlier, Zach, in the sense yeah. that there's something not authentic about City's success, even to them. And where United fans can write this off and say, City are on our level through financial doping. So everyone knows it's not real. You can't say that about Liverpool. Liverpool are authentic. Liverpool earned right to win titles. They aren't funded by a sugar daddy. Their success is commensurate with how big they are as a football club. Legitimate investment. That's, that's. I mean, it's now the model that everyone's trying to copy. That's, you know, a measure of success. That's what Chelsea are trying to copy. It's what United are trying to copy. Because that is obtainable, right? You can't catch City or PSG. You match their spending. So you have to have a model that you can catch, and that's Liverpool. So to me, I think it's that's part of the problem, is that for City, nobody right. really believes this is Manchester City. Everyone believes that once the lottery winner spent their money, you know, that old saying, if you took all the money away in the world and redistributed it, it would be back in the same hands four or five years later. Right. And I honestly feel yeah. that once City lose that investment from these, I mean, take a look at their history prior to that investment. We know what they were before it. We know what they're going to be after they lose it. You know, water finds its level. But, but you're, you're That's very, conf- you're, ca- you're, you're very confident saying once, not if. Well, no, no, no. I, say- I, I would say, I, I don't know for a fact, but you have to question what's the incentive for City mm-hmm. owners to own that football club. It's not anything to do with football, right? We know that. I but, mean, they're, 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 it's got. Not, I don't believe that. Um, you know, that Calduna Mubarak walked up Monday and said, "I love Manchester City. I'm a Man City fan. I like. I want to buy Manchester City." I just don't believe he was growing up in, you know, UAE with pictures of Sean Goodwin on his wall. I just don't believe that, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, they looked at other clubs. I also don't believe the Saudis grew up with pictures of Lee Clark on their wall. Right mm-hmm. in Newcastle, so um, same with Abramovich to Chelsea didn't have Kerry Dixon pictures on as well. So mm-hmm. to me, I think uh, we know that these clubs are bought for alternative reasons. Once that incentive disappears, then of course there's no incentive to continue to invest in these football clubs. You know, mm-hmm. so they're bought for proxy reasons. So right. um, you know, and 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 as we've seen with the Russians. Sports washing only 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 works for a bit, but you but but if you have a major conflict with your country, that sports washing doesn't matter. And so, if you're coming from countries that have a checkered global record, I would be concerned. Now, obviously, the Saudis and everything—they're probably all right, but um, you know, the UAE and everything—I I'm just saying, mate, that um. Maybe they'll never lose that financing, but as you saw with Abramovich, mm-hmm. it happens quickly once it happens. Yeah. No. Look, that and that's something as well. I'm actually, uh, like I like I told you, I, I'm reading the club great book on the rise of the Premier League. Actually, at the was reading about Manchester City, um, and and how I something I had no idea before that before their massive takeover they had a, a failed takeover essentially by a thai owner um and who well, was accused had, of 
They had what? Saxon Shinawatra, who was there prior. Right, Shinawatra. So or Saxon, as, he owned them. As, yeah. 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 Exactly. He did own them. But I know. Des, despot owner, right? right? That was guilty of embezzlement, human rights violations, mass murder. Right? So gain a failure yeah. of governance. Uh, because someone like that should not be listening to football club and you know, how, how important are your laws. But then they've managed to go from like to like, essentially. Yeah. And so this is what, like, right. this is what I'm saying. And the thing about City that's different from Chelsea, Chelsea are based in London, in a pristine part mm-hmm. of London. Manchester right. is an industrial city in the north. So right. It doesn't have the same brand appeal. And the only way Manchester is recognised globally as a football uh, city is through United. I mean, Rubinho yeah. went to Manchester City and Rubinho didn't know who City were. And there's a famous mm-hmm. video of Mike Tyson with Ricky Hatton saying, I've been in Manchester four or five times. I never knew Manchester City existed. <laughs> and, and this is a reality. Now, we start but to see people who, But people who are, who are getting into football right now, they, they know who City Yes, are. I know. But but the question is, Zach, that, right. that if you're getting into football and you, you want to support a football team, there's lots more glamorous clubs in City. Right, I'd pick Real Madrid. Yeah. Okay. Thirteen time European. But Real Madrid player. is not for sale. No, no, no. But if I'm picking a team to support, right? You know what I'm saying. I so, agree. but uh, uh, you, of course you're going to garnish new supporters. You know, Arsenal are still a well-supported football club in this country because when fo- Premier League really started to take off right here, Arsenal were playing well. Arsenal were one of the top teams. Right. Right. But how many young kids today are watching Arsenal? Our support in Arsenal, not many. That's how short-lived it is. And City, despite the fact that they have been able to win the Premier League, never been able to win the European Cup, have not established themselves as a globally recognised brand. Otherwise, they wouldn't need to financially dope with their, um, with all of those, you know, this dopey, ropey sponsorship deals and their financial shell games with other clubs all around the world, which shouldn't be allowed to happen either. But, but look, man. Phil, I one thing I just want to say is, you know, I, I and I agree that some don't have but the fact is having a seat at the table in the Premier League is a massive boost and a massive attraction mm-hmm. to so many different owners. I mean, that is, you know, if you play your cards right, you're going to get a solid return on investment just looking at how much, you know, the TV rights are, looking at how much how how much richer the Premier League is getting and, and the gap between the Premier League and other leagues. I think that for me that that's another reason why um I think that it, it's not I, I wouldn't I don't think I would paint as bleak of a picture as you in terms of are these are fewer and fewer owners going to invest because I do think that the Premier League the attraction that the 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 fact that you're going to make a ton of money from these TV rights that's always going to be an attractive proposition. And then you have to look at other aspects, which, you know, talking about, for example, uh, United Arab Emirates trying to expand their tourism, trying to expand their global name, you know, or what we'd call sports washing. You have that aspect as well, you know, ulterior motives. But the, 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 the fact of just being in the Premier League, being a consistent Premier League team, even if you're a team like Palace or Wolves that is not going to win that much, uh, that's still an attractive proposition, I think, to a lot of uh, billionaires. So you just said a couple of things I want to pick up on. Right yeah. Yeah. So you said because of the television revenue and everything else, 
you yep. you're, you're then why do you need billionaires? Surely you've got enough revenue in your football club to not financially dope. Why do you need to and, and exaggerate yeah. your sponsorship deals because their money should be ubiquitous? Uh, why do you yeah. need? Why do you have Newcastle that needed to be sold because the owners refused to put money in and made them cut the cloth accordingly, which almost got them relegated. Right? Um, yeah. Chelsea had to borrow a billion and a half off their owner to compete for the Champions League. So I don't think the money right. is is you know United's revenue commercial revenue hasn't grown in four years. I don't think right. that money is as obvious as people think. I don't think mm-hmm. you know it, it's all relative because players in England make a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. And you take a look at, for example, Atletico Madrid's wage bill. It was the same as Norwich. Norwich's wage bill, yeah. right? So you get more money for being relegated in the, in the Premier League, but the costs associated with it, you know, you get yep. more money for being relegated in the Premier League than the vast majority of teams in Spain. But the but the costs associated with it is outrageous, mm-hmm. right? And so Absolutely. it's all relative. The, the, the cost of buying players in the Premier League is massively inflated, massively inflated. You know, you nearly couldn't have got a £13 million left back in the Premier League. Impossible. Couldn't get them a... a, a, a you couldn't you couldn't buy Heather Mills in the Premier League for fifteen million. <clears throat> um but anyway, uh some of you all get that joke. I'm sorry it was a bad joke. <laughs> uh but anyway, um it, uh, I'm just saying that it's relative and that the Super League came about as a result of big clubs desperately needing money after COVID hit. COVID right. Put clubs in the situation in England where Liverpool, Manchester United need to borrow 100 million operating costs. Liverpool are asking for PPE loans of the government, PPP loans of the government. And mm. I don't think that money is as obvious as some people make it out to be. And if you're a billionaire, let's face it, it's about return on investment. You don't buy a football club. There's a million other better investments out there for your return on your money than a football club. In fact, football clubs are one of the worst investments. There's that old saying, if you want to become a millionaire in football, you started as a billionaire. Um, But uh, anyway, anything else before we go, mate? No, mate. It was an amazing, uh, as usual, a great discussion. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody listening enjoyed and uh and was educated in the process <laughs> let us know your thoughts folks as always much appreciated and we'll be back next week take it easy bro. take it easy zach take care, see you mate